Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Sahadev Sharma. Sahadev covers the Cubs for The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Sahadev, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, I ask everyone this right at the top of the show. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. Well, it was really my dad. I uh, He grew up in India playing cricket, and when he came to this country, he fell in love with baseball. Uh, moved from Boston to Chicago, and uh, that's where I was born, and not Chicago, but Chicago area, the north suburbs, and uh, spent a lot of time watching baseball growing up with him, uh, collected baseball cards, and that that really that was my initial foray into baseball, really, baseball cards. And then around the late 80s is when I started to really watch baseball. Went to my first game in 89. Uh, Cubs-Mets was my first game. And then my dad, who worked right across the border in Wisconsin, he's a, he was a doctor, so a lot of his uh, colleagues had season tickets to the Brewers. So they'd give him tickets every once in a while. So my first game was Cubs game, but probably the next 50 after that were Brewers games up in County Stadium. So it, it wasn't even, I wasn't even a Brewers fan growing up. I was a Cubs fan by this point, but I, I just loved going to baseball games and it didn't matter that I wasn't going to watch the Cubs. I was going to watch baseball games. So I got to see, you know, the pretty much the latter part of Robin Yant and, and Paul Molitor's careers in Milwaukee. Uh, I remember Pat Listash, Cal Eldred, those guys having great rookie seasons and they weren't great, uh, great Milwaukee teams but it was still fun and I got to see I remember you know Wade Boggs was a was a big deal to watch I saw Nolan Ryan's 300th win so you know that's what got me into baseball and uh and and made me passionate about the game I mean my dad was so passionate about it that that it just kind of it was hard not for me not to be and uh you know and that obviously grew and grew over the years and led me to this career those Pat Listash rookie cards were supposed to set us up for retirement. That didn't work out too well. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. What's funny is probably one of my, you know, first seasons in the game, Pat Listash was, I want to say, I don't know if it was a first base or third base coach for the Cubs. So I, I, it was just really odd. You know, one of the first times I'm in a ballpark covering the team, I, you know, Pat Listash is there. And Pat Listash is uh, built very differently than he was during his playing days. So it's you know he was a speedy guy uh, during his his uh, playing days and he's a bigger guy now so it's it 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 almost threw me for a loop I'm like am I remembering his playing career you know <laughs> properly here but uh but yeah really nice guy it was it, it's just you know it's I was looking that funny enough I was looking through some baseball cards with my son and I'm like oh Chili Davis uh, Randy Bush uh, all these guys who I talk to regularly now because of my job. Uh, looking through all these old baseball cards, they're all like, you know, a random hitting coach or for an office executive or, or, or you know, random base coach. It's, it's very funny to, to think, you know, I used to collect these guys' cards and now I, you know, interview them for a living. The Cubs did make some news. They signed Hugh Darvish to a six-year deal. They obviously are moving on from Jake Arrieta with this decision. I like the Darvish signing a lot for them. He did have a problem in the World Series in general, but the reason mm-hmm. for that was said to be that he was tipping pitches, and he had a problem with this before in Texas for a few stretches as well. And I'm curious if you think that the Cubs have found a way to prevent him from tipping pitches. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely believe they have. I haven't had a chance to get in detail about what 
what that is. And I'm not sure if they'd even share it, to be honest. Uh, not not publicly, not on the record type thing. But yeah, there, there's no doubt that they've spent time even before they signed him uh, trying to figure these things out. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something that you're, you're right. It, it uh, who was it against? Now I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was a game early on uh, in the middle of the season uh, that he was tipping. It was when he was still with Texas and he was tipping pitches, I believe. Uh, so it's it's uh, it, it's something that had did you know, plague him during the season last year at times. And then obviously it really bit him in the world series. So it has to be rectified. Of course, you got to fix that. And, and uh, from the sound of it, the both Darvish and his agents, they loved uh, what the Cubs kind of presented to them uh, as far as their plan for him and how to use him and how to maximize his potential really, because, you know, that's, you know, when you get a guy with what, Darvish has these front offices, these especially the 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 pitching infrastructure, the people that kind of make up the, both the pitching coach and and now most teams have more than just a pitching coach. Uh, they have all these people that that kind of ha- try and help uh, the pitchers and and I think the Cubs really presented them with something that they were very interested in. So, so figuring out what that is and, and locking that that potential from Darvish is is going to be interesting to see if they can do that. How do they plan on maximizing that talent? That's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm really curious what that is. Uh, since uh, you know, it's been a. I've been here for a week and I haven't had a chance to. Darvish hasn't really done many one-on-ones yet, uh, but that is that is my next. Uh, that is on my list of things to talk to him about and talk to some of the people that work with the Cubs and really uh, find out uh, how how they they plan to really maximize this guy's talent. Like like I said, he's got so many pitches. That there's got to be that they got to be enticed by some of these uh, some of these things and what they can do with him. But there's uh, it, it's a, it's a nasty repertoire. So you want to see how how you you know sequencing pitch usage all that stuff matters here. And it sounds like they're not going to go. There was a Madden touched on it a couple days ago, and the, the Dodgers got a lot of credit for kind of. Uh, getting them getting something out of Darvish towards the end of last year. I'm not a hundred percent sure if, if Darvish was very comfortable with exactly what they did there, the way Madden phrased it, I, I, I need to listen to it exactly to, to get the wording right. But it basically made it sound like they're going to let kind of let him lead the way with this and not push a specific plan on him, uh, kind of give him uh, some options and give him some ideas and this is going to be kind of Darvish making sure that he's comfortable and he likes the plan. And, and yeah, this is what I want to do. I think, you know, I, Darvish hasn't said this. This was something that Madden said that basically that they believe that they're going to let him lead the way with this instead of them uh, pushing something on him. This appears to lock in the Cubs rotation with Darvish, Lester, Quintana, Hendricks, and Tyler Chatwood, who they signed earlier. In the offseason, it was actually one of the first deals that anybody made this offseason was mm-hmm. the Cubs signing Tyler Chatwood. But I'm curious what you think the Cubs front office sees Jake Arrieta as at this point. Obviously, they're not going to bring him back, but what kind of pitcher do you think they view him as going forward? You know, I, I think they view him as a quality pitcher, a guy that, you know, maybe never repeats 2015, but, but still a, a valuable guy that especially come October. I think that's maybe his, uh, the biggest plus when it comes to Jake Arrieta, 
you know he can handle October and he'll step it up and he'll perform quite well. I mean, the only time that he didn't was in 2015 towards the end of that run and he was completely gassed, you know, and they learned how to better use him during the season. And while the 2016 and 2017 weren't as good of regular seasons for him compared to 2015, he was great in the playoffs. He was very solid. Uh, I believe he had a no hitter through like four or five innings in the World series. Uh, he got their only, you know, he was the only guy that got a win against the Dodgers. Not that I'm someone that believes in the pitcher win statistic, but he, he pitched well against the Dodgers and, and that that was the only game they won. Uh, he's, he's, he's performed in the playoffs regularly and consistently. And, and it's a, uh, and I think that's, that's something that you can count on Arietta for. He's, he's a big game pitcher and, and he believes he's, he's the type of guy that kind of carries himself with that swagger and confidence. Uh, I think ultimately when you look at what Jake Arietta does and how he is on the mound and, and we've talked a lot about his delivery in the past, right? It's, it's something that the Cubs allowed him to kind of go back to and, and said, you know, be yourself on the mound and that let him thrive, right? But it's also a very difficult uh, delivery to repeat, and and you have to be in in peak fitness with Jake, which Jake Arrieta is 100%. He is always in peak fitness. But as you get older, it doesn't matter, right? Where he's past that uh, uh, peak performance age now, he, he's kind of as good of a condition as he keeps his body in. It's going to be hard to repeat that delivery the older and older he gets the slightest breakdown in that delivery just it continually ticks down the quality of the stuff, the ability to command it. And, and that's why you see the box uh, going back up. It's, it's really, really hard to do what he does and, and be uh, ultra successful uh, because the way that delivery it goes about it, you really need elite core strength and he, and, and uh, impeccable balance. And that, Majority, and I'd say he has that, but it's just it can deteriorate so quickly, and I think that's why uh, a team like the Cubs would hesitate to make that investment because they know just how. Not that I don't want to take anything away from Jake Arrieta because everyone talk to anyone with the team about Jake Arrieta, and they said they'll they'll tell you they don't have a ring without Jake Arrieta. This team isn't where it is now. He helped bring this uh, this organization to another level. The fact is, as he ages, it's going to be a lot harder for him to perform at that top uh, top level that we kind of expect from Jake Arrieta. John Lester struggled last year. Do you think those struggles were a result of an increased workload in 2016, 2015, where he was pitching a lot? Or do you think it was just genuinely the start of his decline? That's something that I'm waiting for uh, the answer on. I, John Lester is one of those guys that I've always felt... Uh, and the Cubs, I mean, this is why the Cubs were willing to invest that money in him is he's a guy that will age gracefully, right? I'm not, I, I don't know if we'll ever see John Lester competing for a Cy Young like he did in 2016. I also don't know if the Cubs need that from him. Uh, what do they need from John Lester? They need him to to push 200 innings, which he'd done uh, pretty much every year prior to last year. And the only reason he didn't get it last year is because he got hurt. Uh, I think, I think Lester is very confident in himself. Uh, he, he's a, he's, 
He's a great presence on the mound. He's a he's a playoff performer, like we talked about with Jake Arrieta, but he has an even longer history with that. Uh, so the the thing that they need from him is is just a little more consistency. They need him to stay healthy, and if he performs like a mid rotation guy, I think that's huge. Uh, I don't. I I think he is in a decline, but I don't think this is a this is like some precipitous decline that you said. Uh oh, this guy's never going to be you know a quality pitcher. The whole concept of bringing John Lester aboard was a change the culture, change who the Cubs are, right? B win a world series with this guy as your, uh, as your main piece in the rotation and C this is a guy that you signed to a six year deal and years four, five, six aren't going to be a complete wash. Like they are a lot of times with these, you know, 150 million plus deals. That's a lot of the time. What you're looking for is results in the first half and you, you're willing to take a complete wash in the second half. I don't think they believe that's the case with Lester. Uh, I, I do want to see – last year it was a struggle, especially when he came back from injury. He did not look like John Lester. I think the last start of the season or the second – there was a start there towards the end, right before the playoffs, where he kind of looked like himself. And then he was fine in the playoffs, nothing special. But, uh, I mean, the team was just out of sorts in general But in the playoffs. They just – even though they won that first series, they, were, they just didn't look right. They they looked uh, sloppy and gassed and, and not like the Cubs team that, that you'd expect with all that talent. So, yeah, I, I, I that's not an answer. I don't think I have an answer for you because I don't know. I don't feel confident either way. I, I'm not willing to write John Lester off because that's just not something that I think is a smart thing to do. But I also just need to see it. I need to see, like I said last year before the playoffs, I said, I need to see one good start from him before the playoffs to believe he can perform in the playoffs, and he did that. He gave, he showed me one good start, and he and he performed fine in the playoffs. Uh, but I, I think I just I, I don't know what he's going to be going forward. I just I, I'm pretty I feel pretty confident that those Cy Young years are behind him, but maybe a very uh, the comparison was always Andy Pettit, so a, a quality rotation piece that's you know uh, in his mid mid thirties is, is something that, you know, I think you'd take, I think you'd be happy with. And now that you have Darvish, uh, Quintana and even Hendricks potentially ahead of Lester. I love what the Cubs have done with the bullpen. I actually love what they've done with their bullpen in general. Uh, this offseason, they've added Brandon Morrow, Steve Ciszek, and Brian Dunsing. They even put in Anthony Bass on a uh, minor league deal. He may make the squad at some point. Is their general philosophy just to sort of have their own homegrown guys and then mix and match with short-term contracts, new guys every year or every other year? If it is, I love it. I think that not committing long-term to bullpen guys is a smart strategy, and I think they're doing that on purpose. What do you think? Yeah, they, they don't want to give that huge... I mean, they're willing to entertain it. Uh, I know last year they, they were keeping tabs on on the Kenley Jansen sweepstakes, and if, if it was under market value, they were interested, right? They're not going to pay market value for closers. That's always been there. Not not long-term deals is what I mean by that. Uh, they, they don't want to... They, they kept tabs on Wade Davis. They love Wade Davis as far as his leadership and and his performance, everything, everything about him. He's a great guy. And, and they love having that type of person uh, on their team and that type of player on the field for them. But they're just, they don't, they're, they're really hesitant to put that type of money and years uh, in the bullpen. Right. And, and I think that's a fair strategy and what they've done with that, you know, it's a combo. You're right. There's some 
uh, player development involved here. I mean, Carl Edwards Jr. Uh, is is it, I think none of these guys are really homegrown now that I think about it. But Edwards Jr. came up through the system. He was part of that. He was part of the deal that I think got them Michael and Justin Grimm. So Grimm's in there too. Uh, it's uh, it's mostly guys that are consistent that they've found little tweaks to make them better. A guy like Pedro Strope, who was who is the opposite of consistent, right? Before he came to the Cubs, and now go look at his numbers since he's joined the Cubs. He's as consistent as a reliever as you can get. And that's something that you don't find, right, in the bullpen. It's such a volatile uh, unit, and it, it never, you can never, I, I always, I refuse to predict that a team is going to have a great or awful or whatever bullpen. You could say on paper, the Cubs bullpen looks great. I agree with you. I really like how what they've done here. Uh, you have Strope and Ciszek as two guys that are super consistent. You have Brandon Morrow, who, when healthy, as nasty as they come when it comes to relievers. Then you have Justin Wilson, who was awful with the Cubs last year, but great the you know the year and a half prior to that. Now a full spring training with the team, you know don't have to worry about being uncomfortable after a trade. A lot of these psychological things, intangible things that we can't measure, that we we don't know that much about uh, outside looking in. I think that may have uh, hurt Wilson last year a lot, and and I think. I, I expect him that of all the guys in the bullpen that you, you know that maybe question marks. He's the guy that I'm most confident is going to be great this year. I think a lot of people kind of wrote him off after it was it was really a dreadful uh, second half with the Cubs. Uh, it was it was hard to watch at times because the guy did not. Uh, you could tell he was uncomfortable on the mound, and and that wasn't the case prior to joining the Cubs. Uh, so they, they have a ton of depth uh, and, you know, Carl Edwards, Jr. Guy with nasty stuff that just kind of fell apart, especially in the playoffs. Uh, I think, you know, that, that's a guy who, who needs to just pound the zone and trust his stuff and, and he's going to get a lot of outs. Uh, so that that's what four or five guys, five guys that you can really trust in the bullpen if, as long as they're healthy and, and performing, that's a, it's a it's a really nice bullpen with guys like Mike Montgomery, Justin Grimm, and, and Brian Dunsing, kind of just like depth pieces, and that's that's really nice to have. I, I agree that this this bullpen uh, may not may not look like the New York Yankees or Cleveland Indians, but could be just as good. Kyle Schwarber last year really struggled in the first half of the year. They actually sent him back down to the minors. He came up and he hit for a ton of power when he came back up. Who's the real Kyle Schwarber? I think it's more the second half guy. And frankly, I've always been a believer in Kyle Schwarber's hit tool. Like this is a guy who came, who was drafted out of Indiana, came up through the minors and people raved about the hit tool. Yeah. He has a ton of power and he has mammoth power. I mean, you know, gasp uh, gasp inducing home runs when when he really gets a hold of one and it's fun to watch but this guy is also a hitter he's a that's what scouts believe he is uh and some somewhere along the way he kind of got away from that something happened something you know i've talked to him about it and, and he really just felt like he he told me that what he's working on is just kind of flattening out his swing and really getting his timing down and, and he felt uh i talked to him about uh how his he didn't swing and miss that much last year compared to how high his strikeout rate was. And, and he immediately, and I, I knew what the answer was. It was, he was fouling a lot of hittable pitches off 
and and that was leading him into you know those two strike counts and then when you get to that two strike count you know that anything can happen type thing and the and the strikeouts were just kind of piling up and he knew right away he was like I was missing my pitch way too much and and it was just I think that's a little bit of timing a little bit of getting in your head and a little and and what he was talking about kind of flattening out his swing a little bit and you know that that fraction of of an inch or whatever it is may lead to more hits. Uh, you know, and he's also he was also killed by the shift, but but you can't use that as an excuse, right? You got to find a way to hit around the shift. So it's, if he if he's going to be if he's going to be hurt by the shift, that's not going to change, right? There's, they're not going to stop shifting him if, if that's what suppresses his batting average. But I think he's a hitter. I think I really believe that. I, guy, I've seen him at his best, and he and he really is a quality hitter. I I, I think there's more in there. I, I think people are too quick to write him off. You know, I'm not going to say that the body change is going to allow him to be a great defender or anything like that, but he does look great. And I know that this guy works harder than uh, as hard as anyone in the game. And he's, uh, he's one of those guys that's, uh, that's, that's focused and, and, and just, you know, all he wants to do is, is be the best that he can be. And I really think he's a special offensive talent and that we're going to see a great season from him. Uh, now, I also said last year that he was going to win MVP. So, so don't maybe, maybe I'm just, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I'll say this. I'm a big believer in Kyle Schwarber and I'm not going to let last year's bad season, uh, push me away from that. Yeah. And Theo and Jed are also big believers in Kyle Schwarber. And mm-hmm. obviously front office guys don't rip their players publicly usually. And sometimes they tout them up just for the sake of uh, trying to enhance their trade value. But those guys in that front office genuinely believe in him. They genuinely see him as a star hitter. Whether or not that comes through, we'll see. But they believe in him. And I guess that's all that matters. Yep. No doubt. Uh, you're, you're 100% right. They're not, this isn't pumping them up for trade value. They they legitimately believe in Kyle Schwarber, uh, so much so that the Quintana trade is is, is also viewed as a as a vote of confidence in Kyle Schwarber because Eloy Jimenez is a freak of nature. That guy is a, an absolute force, and he's going to be a superstar with the White Sox. But he's very similar to Kyle Schwarber in the sense that he's all offense, no defense. You know, he's he's essentially going to be a bad outfielder uh, slash DH. Uh, but he's going to be worth it because his bat is so valuable. But they they kind of saw it as, you know, we have to make a choice here in the long run, and and we can. They, they obviously, I mean, you know, they they were trading the minor leaguer and the guy, uh, and keeping the guy that they felt could help them right now in Schwarber, uh, and they just absolutely needed a guy like Quintana. It was a great trade for both teams, but I'm just saying the the concept there, part of it was. Uh, was Schwarber versus Eloy and picking Schwarber because they believe in him. Yeah, and I'd rather have Quintana and Schwarber than just Eloy as well, too. You know, so, you know, good for them there, and obviously it's paid off. But one of the things that they've done is, obviously by design, they've drafted and developed position players to the point where they still seem to have a surplus of position players where not everyone has a starting role at this point, or at least a defined role, as much as you think that they should. And I'm curious if you think if that comes to an end at some point this year, is this year that they finally break that up, that they finally trade, you know, Baez or Hap or Almora, and they finally trade, or Schwarber for that matter, although I doubt it would be him. Is this the year you think they trade someone for a pitcher, even if even a dominant closer or reliever if one of those guys becomes available during the season. Yeah, I I would guess unless it's it's absolutely necessary in the in the offense and nobody's really struggling on offense and you just have this surplus of 
everybody's hitting Ian Happ's hitting Almora has found you know taking his game to the next level and and Hayward's performing all of a sudden and Schwarber's if all these guys are performing Javi and and everybody and even Zobris and you have all this depth and they're all producing maybe that's maybe they feel and, and there's a deficiency in either the rotation or the bullpen and, and they feel they have to go get a star in one of those areas. Yeah. Maybe they use one of those guys, but I would, I, I do think a trade has to happen at some point. Uh, but I'm not sure if it happens during the season. I, I could see it happening next winter. Uh, it all depends on need, what they need by that at that point, uh, what they're looking to do. But it, and it, I mean, it, as much as would uh, you know, uh, Cubs fans would just love for Tom Ricketts to just spend and spend and spend and not worry about luxury tax or how much the payroll is. I think at some point they're going to have to trade someone because they have so many big contracts as well, and these younger guys are getting expensive. So it's almost to the point. It, it's almost getting to the point where I think at some point they may have to trade someone they don't really want to trade but they feel to make the payroll work and to make things look right and to kind of uh I don't I don't want to say reset things but to kind of extend their window in a way they they may have to trade one of these position players and it may be someone that they they prefer to keep but it's just uh it's just the reality of of how things work there were rumors earlier in the offseason the Cubs were connected to a Manny Machado trade. Any truth there? They definitely explored things and, and were listening and, and trying to find ways to make it work, make things work. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the Cubs the Cubs would love to have Manny Machado. And I think, you know, hey, maybe that they'll be uh, going after him next winter uh, instead of Harper if that's the route that they want to take. And and it could make perfect sense because what you can do is, is if Addison Russell has a great season, all, all the more reason, you know, that's even better for them. They can use him as a, as an asset to trade and, and go get Manny Machado. You don't, you're not downgrading your defense in all likelihood. And in all, and, and there's a very good chance you're significantly upgrading your offense. And then you have a piece in Russell that you can go move for whatever you need. Right. So it's a, or, or if you want to, I mean, there's, there's very, there's a, it gives you a lot of options as far as the Cubs are concerned. And I mean, we just talked about the big contracts that they have, so I'm not sure if that's exactly the route they want to go, but I mean, it's, there's no doubt they're interested in Bryce Harper. And I, and I know the talent evaluators with the Cubs love Machado too. So I, I think they'd be interested in either one of those guys. They were definitely interested, you know, this front office checks in on everything, right? When the, when the front, when the season started, sorry, when the off season started, they, it, they liked you Darvish. who was at the top of their list, but they didn't think it was realistic. Right. But just because they didn't think it was realistic to get him, that didn't mean that they were just going to stop and, and not, and not check in on him and see what it was going to be like and see what his market was going to turn out. They, they, they always check in on everything, even if it may not make sense or from the outside looking in, oh, how does that piece fit into the Cubs' future? They'll, if, if it's a way that if, – if they think it's a way that they can improve, they'll, they'll even get creative with things. So, yeah, they definitely checked in on Machado. I don't know how deep it got. I would I'd be surprised if it got very far. Uh, they definitely weren't offering, you know uh, – there was a – Almora, Montgomery, Russell rumor out there. They weren't offering all three of those guys for Manny Machado. I, I could tell you that. They're not going to give up that type of value for a guy with one year left on his on his deal. 
Quickly, before we wrap up, Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, obviously the two best players, position players on the Cubs, two of the best players in the league, but what are they each trying to do this offseason to try and improve? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Bryant kind of wants to be wants to be a little more uh, come up big in big moments, you know. I, I think he didn't... He, he doesn't. He doesn't believe that he was bad in big moments, but the numbers, you know, RBIs coming up clutch, uh, you know, those things. I think uh, he he believes he he's that type of guy that can step up in the big moment, and I think he just wants to make sure that when those RBI RBI opportunities are there, he's he's taking care of them as much as he can. Rizzo, I think it's all for him. He he's uh, he doesn't want those down periods that he has. He's he, it's not like huge streakiness, but there are moments where, you know, he'll have two, three weeks uh, where he's just not hitting for much power or hitting at all. And I think he wants to eliminate those. He wants to be a little more consistent and steady and, and still put up the big, uh, you know, when, when it's all said and done, he always, he usually has pretty big numbers, uh, but he, he wants it to be a, a lot more consistent than, than it has been in the past. And it, and just, you know, put together a full season. Like that's, it's, it's a nitpicking, I guess, with these guys, because they're both, I mean, one's a uh, definite MVP candidate and one's a borderline MVP candidate every year. Right. So it's, it's really a lot of nitpicking, but, uh, and Chris Bryant is close to as complete a player as there is. So he, but he's also uh, a great student of the game, very smart. And when it comes to baseball, he really understands the game and, and he's almost like his own hitting coach in a way, like kind of just let him, you know, Oh, here's, here's a, a flaw that I noticed. Okay. And here's how you may, here are some options on how you could correct it. And he'll go and just do it. Right. That's just, that's just how Chris Bryant is. This is a guy that uh, talent evaluators were sure was, you know, Oh, he's going to strike out 30% of the time, but that's fine. He's, he's good enough where uh, the talent is, is good enough that it, he can overcome that and still be a really productive player. He wasn't, he wasn't satisfied with that. And he corrected that and figured out ways to correct that. Now he's not even a high strikeout guy. Uh, he has that reputation, but I mean, the numbers tell you otherwise. He's, he's a very good, very, very quality. Uh, I mean, high caliber offensive player and he does not strike out much anymore. It's, 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 he turned into a different player than, you know, even, even the people that drafted him and believed in him most. I uh, thought he would be a much better player. You've been listening to Sahadev Sharma. He covers the Cubs for The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Sahadev, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me.